Welcome to episode eight of the Tech Bubble. I'm your host, Ian Williamson, and today we have the second of two VIP episodes. Last time it was Tom Vignoles, Graham Silverthorne, and John Ray. What's next, you cry? Well, no less than the CEO of the ESF herself, Belinda Greer. But before we get to Belinda, first, a new segment of the show in which a trio of digital leaders discuss what's coming up in the world of tech. What's new? What's on the market? And what may aid your learning? Let's find out. We have Maxine Yang from 13B2, Paul Kim, our regular guest on the show from 13N2, and finally, Ryan Mack from 12S2. Hey everyone, and welcome to Tech Review. It's a short segment at the beginning of each Tech Bubble episode delivering news regarding the latest in technological development. I am joined by Paul and Ryan, two tech enthusiasts, along with myself, Maxine. Hello, this is Paul, and I am so excited to dive into discussions regarding new tech. On behalf of all three of us, it is such a shame that we're only given five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Williamson. Trust me, we'd be at it for hours if we had the chance. Uh, hi, this is Ryan, and I'm super excited to tell you guys about all sorts of new cutting-edge technology. Let's get started with the two stories we chose of today, Neuralink and the all-new Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 2. The first story today concerns Neuralink. On the 28th of August 2020, Elon Musk delivered a live demonstration of his breakthrough brain-to-computer interface. The device was mechanically implanted to the brain of a pig and was capable of delivering a live stream display of her brain activity. It is hoped that Neuralink can be successfully used for humans as well. Elon Musk regards it as a Fitbit in your skulls with tiny wires. Doesn't that analogy sound simple yet intriguing? A brain implant from AI to human by a rather pretty innocent looking coin sized chip. I'm not really sure what the main focus is anymore. Enhancement, simplicity, or efficiency? Uh, either way, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a slowdown. Well, this will pose a very interesting ethics question. I mean, how ethical is it to go around to embed computer chips in people's brains? It could potentially open the door to a whole new slew of ethical issues in tech. The main issues surround privacy and generally how much power the technology could hold over our most vital organs. I mean, it could be very uncomfortable for people to be controlled by a tech, like a coin-sized chip. Those are very important caveats uh, we have to consider moving forward. But do not forget, it also holds some positive implications for the medical community. Such chips can pave the way for creating mind control prosthetics and treating paralysis, as well as mental disorders such as anxiety and depression. I guess that goes to show how ambitious Elon Musk is in reality. I mean, for now, it's really a still very new, underdeveloped form of technology, but it'll be exciting to see what kind of improvements are made and how it will develop over time. Exciting indeed, and I certainly hope to hear more on this in the near future. Moving on, the next discussion regards the latest from Samsung. The Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 2 is their newest folding phone, set to launch on the 18th of September 2020 for 2000 US dollars. The closed display is the larger than the first generation Samsung Galaxy Fold at 6.2 inches diagonally but quite narrow. When opened, the screen is 7.6 inches which is the size of some small tablets. For reference, the iPad mini screen size is 7.9 inches. It also has a 120Hz refresh rate display which could fix some latency issues in the Samsung Galaxy Fold. That was quick, wasn't that? 
Well, it's definitely a next step of developing a device that can both be a cell phone and a mini tablet at the same time. I mean, the screen size of this new phone is like half the size of a laptop. I mean, as of now, foldable phones are kind of too expensive and are out of reach for most people, but I guess this is a step that could make it more mainstream in a couple of years. Um, it'll be interesting to see how foldable phones could bring in a new era of cell phones. Yeah, it'll also be interesting to see what improvements they've actually made to make the hinge more durable. As if you recall, last time around, it was a major disaster. Dust particles could easily get trapped in the middle, and it just wasn't durable at all. Considering a smartphone is something you'll want to use for at least three or four years, or just a cell phone in general. Well, not only that, but the appearance of the center of the foldable smartphone looks slightly awkward. Or maybe that's just me. So I'm really curious about what improvements Samsung has made appearance-wise along with what unique features they've introduced. Well, I think we can conclude that it's definitely an exciting time to be alive in the world of tech. Seemingly every week, there's like a new invention made from a company that is a piece of breakthrough technology. Well, that's all we have from the tech review, and we'll see you next time. Back to Mr. Williamson and Chloe. Love the new segment, guys. Well done to Paul, Ryan, and Maxine for an incredibly informative discussion. You've really piqued my interest here. We'll be looking forward to similar segments in our forthcoming episodes for season two of the Tech Bubble, so make sure to keep an eye out for that. This is Chloe Jazzy Lau speaking, co-host of the Tech Bubble, reminding you that you can now listen to all of our podcast episodes on Anchor, Spotify, and the SIS YouTube channel. We're becoming quite famous, aren't we, Chloe? Definitely. <laughs> okay. That's not all in terms of student participation either, Chloe. Welcome back to the show for Rohan Williamson, NAMAS house captain, and Paul Kim, fresh from the success of his first tech review, and he's back for some further tech-related discussion. Welcome back, boys. Thanks so much. It's, uh, it's great to be back again for a uh, second show running as well. Thanks so much for having me. Also, loved the new segment. It was great. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me once again. And yes, that was me from the Tech Reviews, and I am just so grateful to be part of it. Hopefully that was a proper glimpse of what Tech Review is all about. Our main objective is to not just give our young audience news updates on the latest of technology innovation, but also to pick out and interpret the most important parts of each story or piece of tech we discuss. We aim this to be a concise, authentic, and quick summary of recent tech issues around the world. And yet you said you wanted more than five minutes, Paul, did you not? Don't take that personally. <laughs> As usual, guys, it is amazing to have you both back on the podcast. Welcome, Paul Rohan. Having said that, I wanted to take this time to introduce today's very special guest. It is a great honor to welcome Belinda Greer onto the Tech Bubble. Belinda joined ESF back in 2013, and during that time and even before, she has experienced and witnessed a great deal of change in her role as the Director of Education for Stirling Council in Scotland between 2009 and 2013. She also served as Her Majesty's Inspector of Education for Scotland between 2004 and 2010. Today, we'll be talking to Belinda about the technical changes which have influenced her job over the years, culminating in the extraordinary changes that we have seen taking place in 2020. Welcome to the show, Belinda. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to join you. And I have to say, I'm feeling excited 
and apprehensive in equal measures, as this is the very first time I've been interviewed on a podcast. Now, I'm a big fan of listening to podcasts, but usually when I'm out running, I find it's a great way to find out new things while I'm on the go. And I think it's absolutely amazing that South Island School students and teachers are creating a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing digital literacy and technology. Now more than ever, these topics, I think, are incredibly important and ever so relevant. So I imagine this podcast will be extremely popular with the whole ESF community. I'll certainly be an avid listener from now on. Very high praise indeed. Thank you very much, Belinda, and thank you for joining us on the Tech Bubble. Um, can we begin by exploring the work that you did uh, in your time in Scotland? Um, I'd imagine that for many of our listeners, they probably know very little about those key you know, sort of formative moments which made you an attractive candidate to the ESF back in 2013. Um, so perhaps you can start by telling us about your career in Scotland, you know, what made you want to work in education. And I should add, by the way, dear listeners, that it may surprise you to know that I went to primary school in Scotland and that my roots are actually in the northeast and Mauritia from the city of Elgin. So if you want to learn some Doric, then you can refer to my TED talk from a couple of years ago. There we go, a little plug there. So, Belinda, what made you want to work in education? Well, actually, Ian, my teaching career didn't start in Scotland, but it started in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. And I would say that growing up, I never imagined ever working in the Middle East, but I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I really enjoyed my time as a student in school, so much so that I never wanted to leave. And I didn't. I suppose I understood from an early age the influence that teachers have on students, how they make them feel as a learner, and even more importantly, how teachers make students feel as a person. And I wanted to do something with my life that would make a positive difference to others. So in so many ways, my career choice was absolutely a conscious one. And to this day, I consider teaching a vacation. I'm just as interested and as excited and passionate about education as the first day being a teacher in a classroom. Now, as you say, Ian, most of my teaching career has been in Scotland, starting as a, a school principal before taking on a national role with the Scottish Government as one of Her Majesty's inspectors of education. I miss the direct contact of working closely with schools. Um, and quite frankly, as an inspector, you can imagine you don't have many friends. So I quickly moved to the post of Director of Education with Stirling Council and then Director of Joint Education Services with a neighbouring uh, council. Looking back, I would say I've always enjoyed change and challenge. And I've absolutely loved working with students. I arrived in Hong Kong seven years ago with a lot of experience, but with oh so much more to learn. I wanted change, I wanted challenge, and I have to say I haven't been disappointed. Becoming an inspector was a really pivotal step in my career because it gave me experience of the wider national perspective. It was a real privilege to spend my time in classrooms and schools all over Scotland, Ian, including Elgin. I've inspected a school in Elgin, working with teachers and students. There we go. These connections, eh? Belinda, you've certainly worked in very diverse roles over the years. And as you mentioned, as you rightfully mentioned, with change and challenge come problem solving. 
So can you tell us about some of your proudest achievements during your time as Stirling Council and as Her Majesty's Inspector of Education for Scotland? Thanks, Chloe. Well, I would say I was given great opportunities to lead policy and system change at a national level. But whilst there are many key moments and big events that I remember from my time as both an inspector and a director, I would say my proudest achievements are firmly based on what was happening in classrooms, the impact of my work on the actual student experience in school. To this day, even as CEO, my work is premised on if it isn't happening in the classroom, it isn't happening. In other words, the goal isn't for us to meet and talk about things, but to actually get things done, to get it done together. And the most important thing is for our focus to be on making it happen, the positive impact on students' learning experiences in school. So it's not so much events and seeing achievements as opportunities for me professionally, but seeing the impact of what I do on the day-to-day experiences for students in schools. Absolutely, I agree with that. Um, So if we think a little bit maybe about the the, the sort of technological development, um, going back through through some of those positions that you're talking about. So what kind of technology were you using at the time during those those positions that you've just described? And, you know, I thought it'd be quite interesting to find out, you know, can you remember when you bought your first computer, for instance, or, or when mobile phone technology first started to play a significant role for you? Well, do you know, I started teaching so long ago, there weren't any computers in classrooms and no one had a personal device. All their plans, all the reports had to be handwritten. And in fact, I had an old typewriter at home that I used to use to prepare my work and my reports. And and I used it to write the thesis for my master's degree. And let me tell you, there was no cut and paste function. Any change resulted in the whole section having to be retyped. It took so long. I can see Chloe, Paul and Rohan laughing, but that was actually the experience I had. But I do remember computers being introduced to schools. I had a Commodore computer with a floppy disk drive at the front of my classroom. I had just a few programs which the students could use to practice skills and reinforce their learning. And the students absolutely loved it. I remember I had to timetable it so that everybody got their fair share and their chance to use it. Ian, I don't really remember much about my mobile phone, except it was large and it could only be used for phone calls. But I do remember that when I became an inspector, I was given a Blackberry, which at the time was considered very high tech. Oh, it was, absolutely. Although kind of pretty much defunct, eh? I mean, that's the strange thing that in such a strange, a short period of time, rather, we've gone from the BlackBerry being a kind of iconic device in technology uh, to something that's been entirely replaced, really, in the modern context. Definitely. From typewriters to MacBooks, um, adapting to new technology can be incredibly difficult as experienced by some of our students and um, staff at SIS who've had to counter quite a steep learning curve when adjusting to online learning back in March, which seems like a very long time ago now. I'm sure we've all had our fair share of technological disasters ourselves, but we'd love to hear from you, Valinda. Have you had any tech disasters yourself that you think would be notable? Well, probably I'm sure very similar to everyone else. Um, Over the years, I've accidentally sent emails to the wrong recipient or I've replied all when I was only meant to reply to the sender. 
I've certainly saved over a file by mistake or I've pressed a button and suddenly my font is huge or tiny and I've not known how to fix it. And do you know what? It always happens at a critical time. And I have to say tech can be rather fragile and I've certainly dropped my fair share of iPhones and broken the screen. And the first time, I'll share this with you, the very first time I did it, I remember feeling so guilty for giving my son such a hard time for breaking the screen on his phone. It's so easily done. More recently, I've had experienced um, some troubles using Zoom. You saw at the start of, of this evening, I was speaking to you for a good five minutes whilst you're all frantically waving to me because I had the mute button on. Um, so yeah, I've had the same um, problems, very similar to everyone else. Um, I would have to say that I'm working hard on that mute button. I don't want to lose any wise words. Definitely. Uh, speaking of Zoom learning, I'd be interested to know how that compares to the experiences of our student guests, Rohan and Paul. So when did you guys get your first computer or mobile phone? And what were some of your most memorable tech disasters? Well, um, I think if I recall correctly, my first phone was, well, unfortunately not a great memory for me for all of the wrong reasons. I think I originally got it at the start of year six, which was just a, a little flip-up phone, and uh, on f in the sort of modern context it was uh, totally useless in terms of its functions, because I'm not just saying that because it wasn't a smartphone, but rather due to the fact that I genuinely couldn't use it unless I was at home using my Wi-Fi. In other words, if I went outside and tried to call someone, it just wouldn't let me. It would just switch itself back off again. So totally useless and definitely not an investment that I would recommend to anybody at all. Was, was that a little bit of a dig at your father there by any chance, Rohan? <laughs> of course not. I would never do such a thing. Uh, yes, I must, I must speak to him. That's right, yes. Absolutely. In terms of my first laptop, that was also quite an interesting story because actually I didn't receive mine until uh, a little bit earlier than year seven. I actually received my laptop back in year six in my primary school, which was Discovery College. It's uh, actually also another ESF school in Hong Kong based in Discovery Bay. And we were required to have our own laptops in year six. Um, mine was the 13-inch MacBook Air, which at the time would have been one of the newer models, but nowadays would be seen as inferiorly out of date. Uh, in fact, I would go as far to say that it was actually probably the best laptop I've ever owned. It lasted me ages, I think until the end of year 10, by the end of it. Five years of service with no problems on it whatsoever. However, unfortunately, something very tragic happened at the start of year 11 as Unfortunately, someone accidentally spilt water on it at home and we tried to save it, but we, we just we couldn't do it. It was a great tragedy. I really wasn't sure how I was going to move on with it at the time. And then I got a new laptop and it had a really cool touch bar, so um, it, was, it was all fine in the end. But uh, on a more serious note, up until its demise, I don't rem remember any specific disasters 
But I do remember my year six teacher telling me off for watching YouTube in class on several different occasions. And in those days, it was also popular to play Google Earth Flight Simulator on your laptop. So I was also told off several times for that. And I'll admit one great benefit of getting my laptop a year earlier was that I had the opportunity to make all of these mistakes and let them all out so that I wouldn't be unwise enough to make them uh, during my time in year seven at secondary school. So I was very grateful. Maybe interject there um, before Paul responds. Uh, that's something at South Island School that we, we still believe very strongly in, um, which is something that we call the empowerment model, which is when students have to learn for themselves um, you know, that they are going to make mistakes, as we all do. We've all got those stories to tell. I know I certainly have from my ZX Spectrum 16K days, but that's probably a, another episode all on its own. Um, Paul, what about you? Well, it's certainly interesting from Rohan. Um, in terms of my first computer, um, I had a very old 13-inch MacBook Pro model extremely heavy back in year seven. I'm pretty sure I was one of the very last SI students to use one of those. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't really last very long, uh, only about three and a half years, mainly because it was too old and slow or I mishandled it, probably a mixture of both. Uh, then I had to get a new laptop, which is frankly the one I'm using right now, and, and I'd say it's all good. And in terms of disasters, I did have one year disaster just recently with my current laptop uh, from spilling some liquid during a chemistry experiment. And let me clarify, listeners, it was neutral and I had to use my laptop because I was using a logging program and temperature probe to record results. Uh, but I got extremely lucky as there wasn't any hardware liquid damage uh, after I took it in for repair. Very lucky. I did dodge a huge bullet. And my first mobile phone back in uh, primary school, which was barely used, uh, was a flip phone just like Rohan. Uh, I forgot the brand. The only really, the only thing I could do with uh, with that phone, other than phone calling or texting, was play Sudoku. So I hardly ever used it or carried it, carried it around wherever I went. But the one other uh, device I think is relevant, and I had at the time, uh, was an iPod Touch, which is basically where I played all my games back when I was like 11 or 12. Wow, iPod Touch, eh? You're bringing me back now, Paul. Okay then, so thinking about these kind of devices, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of thinking or, or I'm trying to imagine um, the time period, Belinda, when you were applying for the job um, back in what must have been around about 2012, I'd have thought, or uh, into the beginning of 2013, I'm not sure. Um, certainly for us by that point at South Island School, and then last, last week as part of our um, Three Principles episode, we talked quite a lot about the fact that we'd by this point gone to a one-to-one -one, uh, laptop program, uh, which was during the period when uh, John Ray was the principal of the school. Uh, and we were probably just about at the point where we were starting to get some level of confidence, but also starting to recognize many of the issues that, that came with the, those kind of devices too. So, so picking up the story for you, Belinda, can you remember, first of all, what were the push factors um, back in 2013 when you decided to leave behind you know, your former life in Scotland to join us over here in Hong Kong? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I started teaching in the Middle East and absolutely loved working in the international context. And I really only returned to Scotland after my first child was born. So when my last child left home for university, I seized the opportunity again 
to work internationally. Um, here's the thing, working in education really allows you to travel the world. Um, I've never been to Hong Kong before, but I was attracted to the opportunity to work for ESF. As I said earlier, I thrive with change and challenge. And having worked at senior levels in schools and at a national level, I was ready for a further change and most certainly a challenge. And ESF provided a great opportunity for me to do a similar role, but in a very different context, in a different country. And as I said, schools across the world are very similar. And whilst I was very happy leading an education system about the same size as ESF, ESF provided the perfect opportunity for me to build on that experience. The biggest pull factor was the ESF students and teachers. On meeting them when I came to Hong Kong for interview, that was the moment I decided I really want to work for ESF. It's interesting as well that you've managed to keep your Scottish accent, by the way, far better than I've kept mine. What, well, that... Thank you for that. I will take that as a real compliment. I work hard at it. Well, I very much regret having lost mine. I think I was, I was wooed in by the power of the East Yorkshire accent and it kind of got <laughs> swallowed up. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, so uh, as an ESF student myself, uh, looking back at the last seven years, what have been the biggest changes you've seen in tech at the various ESF schools? And why do you think you've seen those changes take place? Well, do you know, Chloe, where, where on earth do I start? Um, mobile learning, portable computing device, devices, sorry, wireless internet, increased flexibility, um, possibilities for interaction and collaboration. And in so many ways, that's what makes ESF such a strong organisation. We connect the 22 schools through the use of technology. Gamification for learning, that's really taken off. Um, blended learning on and off screen, particularly with the, the recent um, learning from home um, period. Educational apps, I mean, I've learned about Padlets and Flipgrid, things I'd never heard of before I came to Hong Kong. I think tech's made life so much easier for students and staff. And in so many ways, it's really helped school management. Um, so for the school operations, it's really enabled efficient and effective working. And I've seen technology used really well with departments looking at personalising students' learning. Obviously, webinars for staff, professional learning. It's absolutely wonderful to be able to join groups of teachers from across ESF and spend even a short time hearing them talk about the work that they're doing and, and just some of the developments in, in the, the curriculum. Um, access to quality information, being able to tap into things that are, that are happening across the world. And really, I suppose more recently, Zoom, in some ways, Zoom has completely transformed uh, my life and it's allowed us to keep ESF going during these really challenging times. People are now more accessible than ever, but of course, that's not always such a good thing. I would have to say that my days sometimes are made up of back-to-back -back Zoom meetings and I can literally start at eight o'clock in the morning and still be going eight o'clock at night. So. Whilst it's great we can connect in with people, it certainly has made us very accessible and that needs to be managed, carefully managed. 
We actually spoke about this in, I believe, episode two or episode four with our uh, vice principal, Miss Lucy Purvis. We spoke about the epidemic, the second epidemic of Zoom fatigue and the fact that we're spending so much time on our laptops. So definitely, definitely a shift in technology that's worth noting. And I guess that kind of leads on to what my, my next thought here, which is, I mean, you know, we, we've described a lot of the positives there. And there certainly has been an, an extraordinary transformation. You know, I've seen colleagues um, who've embraced technology in a way that I would never have expected. Um, but I guess, you know, it, when we think about our stakeholders in the ESF, there are, uh, you know, a, a lot of, of people, you know, parents, uh, some teachers, uh, even some students who, you know, that they, they have a, a kind of fear of, of, of technology um, or they have a reluctance when it comes to adopting some of these many technological forms that, that we currently use. Um, so I suppose if I can lead into the present period now, Belinda, or at least the sort of extraordinary challenges and demands brought by 2020, uh, COVID has obviously been a disruptive force with technology providing a solution, as, as you pointed out, it's enabled us to continue uh, the business of education um, with some positive, but also some negative impacts as you've just described. I'm guessing that in your position, you've had to deal with lots of strong viewpoints when it comes to online learning. Um, so it would be interesting to know what have some of those biggest, or what have those concerns been? Um, and how have you gone about responding to, to those concerns? Okay, well, can I say firstly, Ian, I absolutely uh, understand the fear of technology. Um, you know, someone, for me, if technology works, it's great. But if I'm relying on it and it doesn't, and I don't know how to fix it, it just adds so much stress to the situation that you're in. And I, th I think coming through the crisis and having to rely more and more on technology, in some ways that's really helped. It's helped develop a greater confidence in the use of that technology. But you know, when you move 22 schools to online learning in a very fast time frame, then understandably there are gonna be some initial concerns so I suppose I, I started by addressing them um, through communication to parents. So I wrote to parents and to staff every week, made sure that people understood what was happening and what to expect. And I think this really helped to reassure the community that we were listening, we were taking on board their views and we were rev revising um, our procedures to ensure that the systems that we were putting in place could really help. Um, initially, the, the structure was one of the concerns. You know, the school day follows a timetable. So when we first moved online, the students were learning from home. We had to reassure the families that we would provide what would be a, a routine or a structure to their, their children's days following um, an existing timetable if, if it was indeed appropriate to do so. Um, another issue was just the amount of work that students were getting and a little bit like what we were saying earlier about Zoom, it makes you more accessible. Well, technology just made the students, the learners even more accessible to the teachers. And the, the teachers, um, whilst highly skilled in providing the, the perfect pace of learning to their students, again, there was a, a, a sense of overwhelming um, students with so much work that they were um, producing and providing for them to do at home. And that had a bit, bit of a reaction, I have to be honest, from the parents who they wanted their, their, their children to, to be learning and they certainly wanted an appropriate amount of work, um, including new materials and they wanted to see their, their child making good progress. But because parents, particularly parents of younger children, were having to support their child, parents quickly became very overwhelmed with the amount of work. 
So, you know, whilst our students are learning from home, not in classroom, um, they are still in front of their teachers. Um, we also need to continuously reassure our community that a huge amount of face-to-face -face contacts taking place between the teachers um, and their students. And that whilst we're using technology to deliver the lessons live, um, we're checking in with Zoom meetings and we, we're making great use of video content for even our youngest students in kindergarten. Absolutely nothing beats the face-to-face -face learning in a school. But I would say that, you know, I'm so proud of the fact that the teachers across ESF have gone to great lengths and they're using, let's be honest, great creativity to maximise that face-to-face -face contact to really keep their students fully engaged and, and motivated as they continue to learn. You know, the one thing I would say, looking back um, with the experience that I have, um, we know that you can have the most advanced curriculum and the best evidence-based interventions. But, you know, if your teachers can't engage students, if they can't build meaningful relationships, then learning will, will just won't be optimised. Yeah, absolutely. Good answer. I mean, you, you referred there or you kind of inferred some of those kind of, you know, champions of technology um, that we've uh, that we've seen um, across not only the ESF schools, but, but, but in many schools around the world who've, you know, um, they've really raised their game to the challenge that, that COVID has represented. Um, I mean, can you, can you tell us about some of the innovative ways that you've seen uh, technology used? I mean, I know you've been part of many, many Zoom uh, lessons. Um, th th those meetings we're talking about are not just, you know, um, you know, at the head office, are they? These are these are an engagement with the students themselves across our, our many different schools. Um, so, um, you know, how have you seen the technology used to really help students whilst they've been at home? Well, do you know, I've had the pleasure of watching a video of one of our primary school students and his father performing a really impressive gymnastic routine as part of a challenge that was set by their, their teacher. It did involve jumping up and down on beds and doing somersaults, but it was amazing to see the routine that the, the father and the, the child had, had put on as part of this challenge. Um, I've also um, enjoyed watching students um, post their dance routines. And in fact, I took part in one myself at West Island School. Um, I witnessed a maths teacher who somehow managed to track down a whiteboard this was early days when we had just moved to online learning and set up a live maths lesson in his front room. And I've seen a physics teacher using a kettle as part of a live experiment in our kitchen. Um, so teachers across ESF have looked for innovative ways to really engage students using whatever they could find to hand. Um, I've witnessed science teachers um, asking students to do experiments at home for example, investigating diffusion using tea bags. Um, and I've also been amazed to watch the virtual sing-alongs um, performed at school assemblies and the fantastic dance performances on, on Zoom. And I've been able to join um, school assemblies. So Beacon Hill School, for example, I was able to record my views and my, my thinking on diversity and share that with uh, the school so that they could add that to the teachers' comments on diversity. And um, I suppose the, the one thing technology has enabled me to do that I wouldn't normally be able to do, and that is join small group sessions. 
So I've asked teachers to invite me into their lessons. And, you know, I have to say I'm so impressed with the number of teachers who have absolutely embraced that invitation. And I've seen for myself how difficult it is for a teacher to work with a group of uh, year one students that um, the teacher has never yet met in person. And uh, you talk about herding cats, but let me tell you, when you have a group of very young children on the screen and they have never yet met you and you're trying to teach them and they're going off to find things to show you. So one person mentions a cat, then they're off dragging their cats to show the teacher on screen. And the, t the teacher is loving it. Um, so I've, I've joined lots of small groups and class sessions and I've been able to meet many, many students um, on screen that I wouldn't get the privilege to do um, if we weren't working from home. And that, may I say, is, um, you know, I start every day in a school except a Tuesday where I visit schools, but uh, certainly using technology, I've been able to get much closer to uh, the students' learning. Great to hear. Definitely. Uh, speaking of innovation and creativity in online learning, the Business and Economics Department of South Island School, and I believe of other ESF schools as well, have recently introduced the online self-paced learning book, the IBDP textbook, Cognity. So Paul Rohan, as fellow business and economics students, having had a taste of the self-paced learning experience, do you feel that this has been a successful tool so far? And moreover, how do you think self-paced learning tools like Cognity will redefine and shape the essence of our education? Well, uh, I think that's a very interesting question, Chloe. Actually, I was um, speaking to Mr. Stevens about this via a couple of um, emails that we'd exchanged, and he'd mentioned that Cognity was very much a, a trial that they were doing live um, this year to see how it would differ to your sort of comprehensive standard textbook. And I have to say, having been a part of the trial, um, online textbooks um, such as Cognity have just, I felt, embedded far more tools within them that allow for interactions for students to be able to use them and to learn at their own pace. So, uh, for example, in my business textbook on Cognity, there are mini quiz sections at the end of sort of every section that you can read um, in between chapters. Uh, so I do really like that because I feel like I can test my understanding of certain concepts as I go along. And I find that that's both really efficient and really effective at the same time, as opposed to looking through a, a standard textbook and trying to find where the questions are and, you know, what page it might be on. So that can be frustrating and inconvenient. So that's one benefit, I think, of having the online textbook. Additionally, there are sort of highlighting tools within the software so you can save key points that you want to remember and they all come up on one individual page. So it's very useful to save everything in one place. For example, if there are definitions that you want to save and you want to be able to revise really quickly, then it's all in one place and it's ready for you whenever you want to uh, do that. And on top of that, I think the best part about all of this is the exam style questions that you have embedded within the textbook. It just becomes more than a source of information. The textbook is, you know, providing you with sort of enlightening you with the new information that you didn't previously know with all of the concepts in them. But it's also testing your understanding of them as well at a pace that you can 
dictate when you want to um, do it or how you want to go about doing it. And in addition to that, I think a feature that many teachers will find very useful, including my business teacher, Miss Sharma, is that they can actually track your progress and see um, which sections you've understand more based on the sort of um, questions that they've given you at the end of each section and which ones that you've perhaps struggled a little bit more with so they can gauge which ones you need more support with. It'll be very interesting to see how cognitive plays a role and if it plays a role in the future years as we gain more data and information about what works and what doesn't work so well about it. I think we'll maybe have to try and get uh, you know Mr. Stevens, like Dave Stevens, the head of uh, of business and economics, in to speak to us more about cognitive future uh, podcast rather for uh, Rohan. Yeah, um, you may notice that I'm a little bit distracted at the moment. That's because you were just talking earlier on, Belinda, about cats being herded up and and you know in, in all these kindergarten things. A regular uh, performer, let's say, on the show is my dog Nero. He's just come back from his walk, so I'm moving. Trying to move between one room and the other so I can try and avoid him just for a little bit longer until we can finish the show. The fun of doing these kind of online Zoom sessions. Paul, you were going to tell us a little bit about your response to Chloe's question as well. Uh, I'll be honest, uh, I actually don't have that much experience uh, in like self-learning programs, and I'm sure Rohan does, such as Cognity. Actually, I've I think I've only used Cognity for one lesson at the start of, I mean, sorry, at the end of uh, last term in year twelve. It was just for a fun activity at the end of the year type of uh, lesson. Um, one self-learning program that I really enjoyed, it, this is extracurricular, not in lessons, but it's called AppBSD, which was used in the SIS Coding Club, I, um, created by the BSD Coding Academy themselves. Um, there, are, there are great tu coding tutorials as well for like creating games or websites, as well as it being a platform for creating your own um, work by coding. I think these programs allow students to be really independent and uh, authentic, not to mention that they probably have more fun with them uh, rather than uh, listening to their teacher the entire time. I know that in uh, Mandarin Chinese, there's a few programs that uh, the Chinese department uses. So I also believe that uh, these self-paced learning programs uh, really give an opportunity for students to lead their own uh, education and then the, uh, the teacher can have a more supporting role uh, to the students. Good response, Paul. Um, it might interest you to know, Paul, that BSD now have a, a new badge that they give to certain teachers called the Esteemed Educator Award. But, um, you know, obviously modesty on my behalf would prevent me from telling you who the first recipient was. So you'll have to research that for yourself, Paul. Um, sadly, we're running out of time, but I have one final question before we finish today, Belinda. Uh, given the importance of online learning uh, that we've been discussing really quite a bit in the in the second half of the show today, um, do you think that online learning can ever replace physical schools? I have a feeling I think I know what your answer is going to be here, but that's what you say. Yeah? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, I would say that the prolonged period of online distance learning, whilst it's enabled continuity of our students' learning, it most certainly has amplified the importance and the need for social interaction. That's what we're all missing and that's what we're all craving. Teaching and learning, let's be honest, is a social activity. So much of what we do, you know, in schools about relationship building and it's about working together. But, you know, I think our, our thinking and practice, it's been disrupted and we've changed. And with that disruption and change, 
practice in school, practice in the classroom, that needs to change too. So it's not going to look the same, it's going to look different, but absolutely we will still need to come together in schools for the social interaction. So for me, a person who likes change, I think the future looks really exciting. Yep, I agree. It's an exciting future and I suppose that the post-COVID world, one thing for sure is it's not going to be the same as, as the one that we went into, uh, you know, back in sort of January, February time. Uh, that's just about all we have time for today. Um, I'd like to thank Belinda uh, very much for her guest appearance today um, and hope that she'll be able to join us again at uh, some point in the future. As I said at the start, my very first podcast interview, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Paul, Rohan, Chloe, Ian, thank you so much. I hope you have me back. I'd love to be engaged in this again. I have a feeling that there's going to be plenty of technological issues um, that we'd love to get your opinion on going forward, Belinda. So I think that's absolutely going to happen at some point in the future. I echo Mr. Williamson's thoughts. It was great to have you here, Belinda. Thank you so much. We will be back soon with more tech-related content, including a forthcoming special episode on women in tech with some equally brilliant guests as well. But in the meantime, dear listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. What would you like us to discuss? If you have any ideas, questions, or feedback, then please write to digileaders at webmail.sis.edu.hk. Once again, that's D-I-G-I, leaders, at webmail.sis.edu.hk. And as always, thank you so much for listening.